Welcome again today. I'm, I'm very thankful that you're here. Um, my name is Doug Vernon. I'm the senior minister here. Um, we have a great opportunity to just continue to grow in our relationship with the Lord. I love Wildwood Christian Church, and so thank you for being here. Um, if you haven't yet, I invite you to take a moment. There's a Connect card in the seat back in front of you. And on one side, there's a place to put your name. Don't worry if you're guests. Nobody will show up at your door. We just want to be able to communicate with you. Um, on the other side is a place to put a prayer request, and so you can put that in the offering bag later on in the service. Um, right now, I want to call your attention to the screen and watch a great opportunity that we have as a church family. What would happen if the people of God started handling money God's ways? to get to the end of your life and have nothing to show for it. This is my family's legacy that I'm talking about here. I've got to have a plan and be focused. That knowledge that you pass down to your kids, that is how you change a family tree. You change your life when you get sick and tired of being sick and tired. And you have that moment where you say, I've had it. I'm not going to live like this anymore. Starting February the 9th, we have a, a section of the financial piece that we're offering actually during this hour, starting February the 9th and for the next nine weeks, you can be a part of literally changing your life. Um, the principles that Dave teaches are very biblical, but they are life-changing. If you've never been a part of financial peace and you have any money, you need to be a part of that, okay? It's just that simple, and so I encourage you to do that, but we need you to sign up, and so you can go online and let us know that you're coming. Um, if you have any questions, Paul, put your hand up in there for me. Paul's right there. You can ask Paul following the service. Um, he's led that for us a couple times. We have a couple others that are helping us as well. And so Financial Peace University is a great opportunity. So I, I love to play golf. I don't play very much. I used to when, you know, I was younger. But my problem with playing golf is I, I have a lot of trouble losing the golf ball besides being terrible, but I have a lot of trouble losing the golf ball, and I try to remember what my dad taught me when he was teaching me how to golf, you know, so when you watch your ball and wherever it lands, then you kind of put a marker out there so you know where your golf ball is, so when you walk out there, you can find it. I think my problem with golfing is that my ball so rarely lands in the fairway, it's always in the trees or the rough. That's, I think, why I find so much trouble, have so much trouble finding my golf ball. So I kind of relate to this story I heard the other day. So two guys were golfing, became very irritated and annoyed with the couple that was golfing in front of them that were so very slow. And so finally, the couple in front of them, the, the one guy was just standing out in the fairway while the other person was over here in the rough trying to find something. And so they shouted back, why don't you go help your friend find his golf ball, hoping to speed it up. And the guy says, oh, he's not looking for his golf ball. He's looking for his golf club. <laughs> now, I have lost a couple of golf clubs, um, and I won't tell you the reason why. But, you know, losing a golf ball, um, well, I guess if you lose enough of them, it can get expensive. Losing a golf club, if they're nice enough, might get a little bit expensive. But in the long run, losing something like that is, you know, at best embarrassing, frustrating, maybe a little bit expensive. But for us as God's people to lose sight of that which is most precious to us, most significant and important to us, um, can literally cause us great harm. But it doesn't have to be that way. See, momentary distractions aren't cause for permanent failure in our life. 
So the Bible is filled with all kinds of examples of women and men who were living the way God wanted them to live, but then they got distracted by stuff in their life, the kind of things that you and I get distracted by. But they were distracted temporarily, and they turned back to God. They turned back to focusing in on Jesus Christ, and what they found was the very thing that that they needed in their heart and in their life. And so today, we're going to look at one of those stories from Matthew chapter 14. So I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. And in fact, if you're a person who uses the YouVersion app, if you go to that app and go to events um, and search for Wildwood Christian Church, all of these notes are available there as well so that you could follow along. But the series that we are in, we started last week, is entitled Focal Point. And so it's a term that's used in photography, it's a term that's used in artwork, but the idea is simply this, is that there is some place in this photograph or in this piece of art that, that the artist wants your attention to be drawn. That becomes the focal point. And they use a lot of different ways to accomplish that, but their goal is for you to see this one thing. And so as a church family... We're learning in this year, the year 2020, to be able to just have Jesus be our focal point, to be able to allow Jesus Christ to be the influence on our life so that every single day we are focusing on him. Literally, we're using the phrase, we focus each day on Jesus Christ. And so last Sunday, we started from Hebrews chapter 12 with a passage um, that's a challenge to fix our eyes on Jesus. He literally uses that particular phrase. And what we learned together last week was the fact that whatever I choose to focus upon, that's going to determine my destination. The thing that's the priority that I choose to look at consistently, that's going to determine the destination in my life. And so that was last week. Today, as we look at a person who demonstrates great faith but also fails in a big-time way, we learn that failure isn't final in our life. We learn that the, the mistakes and the choices that we make, which every single one of us make, I mean, they don't have to stop us. In fact, here's the reality. Every single person in this room has messed up in their life big time. Every single one. I mean, this literally is, just look around right now, okay? Look at the person in front of you, behind you, next to you. This is literally a room filled with failures. And most of us, we don't want other people to know the big failures of our life. And yet... We come into this place because we know that Jesus is the one who can take the failures of our lives and he can turn it into something that's amazing for us. And we've all encountered distractions that cause us to take our eyes off Jesus. We've all learned that. And so today, here's what I want us to learn together, that momentary distractions are not cause for permanent failure. And they're not. So we're studying the gospel of Matthew. So the word gospel just simply describes the life of Jesus. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of them wrote about the account of Jesus. Matthew, sometimes known as Levi, is a converted tax collector. Jesus called him. He's one of the key apostles that was with Jesus those three years. Um, Matthew wrote predominantly to a Jewish Christian audience. So there's a lot of Jewish influence in the things that he writes in, in this particular letter. But he's, what he's wanting to really do is he's wanting to help those who are Jews to recognize that Jesus is the Messiah, to walk away from living by law and to live by grace. And so he writes this, part of its encouragement, part of its teaching, 
Part of it's to help them to stay determined as they fight against the discouragement that comes in their life. And so we're going to read about one encounter that Matthew provides for us in Matthew 14. And so I'm going to start in verse 22, and I want to invite you, if you would, stand with me. I'll read it out loud. You follow along in your Bible or up on the screen, Matthew chapter 22, or 14, I'm sorry. I'll begin in verse 22. Matthew writes this. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from a land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water come. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly you are the son of God. Let me pray for us. Lord, we open your word because we need your truth, and we recognize that <clears throat> it is your word that guides us and directs us. And so today, speak into our hearts and our lives. Um, you know the very need that we have. Um, help us to learn um, what you can do in spite of uh, the failures of our own lives, Lord. And it's in your most precious name we pray. Amen. You all may be seated. So Jesus has, in, in the context of this, just heard some really bad news. So John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus, was also Jesus' cousin. And John the Baptist has been beheaded because he pointed the finger at the wrong politician. And so Jesus really has a desire to get away from everybody. And yet all the crowds are pressing in on him and they're wanting his attention and so Jesus capitulates, right, and he begins to teach them, and he begins to heal them, and ultimately gets kind of to the end of the day, and so Jesus realizes he's got to feed them. And so we have the story of the feeding of the 5,000 that comes earlier there in Matthew chapter 14, a great uh, miracle that Jesus performs, but he still needs time away. And so in Matthew 14, 22, it says immediately Jesus made the disciples. And so those are those 12 guys that kind of hang around with him. He made them get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So he's going to get rid of all of these people. And after he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And so Jesus needs this time alone just with his father. And we're going to talk more about this next week, but here's the reality. If Jesus, who's the Son of God, needs to carve out time with his Father, what does that say about you and about me? So he goes on. He says, later that night he was there alone. So later in the night, Jesus still up there by himself. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves, because the wind was against it. Shortly before John, dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. All right, so these guys are in the boat. Jesus is up there 
praying, they're out there working. And Matthew uses this term. He says that they are buffeted by the waves. So this word buffeted that he grabs and uses is the word torture. And Matthew uses it to describe what's happening to the boat. So if the boat's being tortured and you are inside the boat that's being tortured, what do you think is happening to you? These guys are seasoned fishermen. They've been on the sea. But these guys are fighting for their very life, so it's obviously no small storm. In fact, one commentator thought they were probably rowing in that boat for at least six hours. Can you imagine how exhausting that would be to try to fight against that kind of wave? And yet Jesus still doesn't show up yet. And finally, late into the night, Jesus, it says, comes walking to them on the water. He walks to them on the water. Now, I know that there are many people who really struggle with the miraculous in regard to Scripture, right? How could Jesus walk on the water? It defies the laws you know, of gravity or whatever law that happens to be there. It's, it's just not a possible thing. And so there's a lot of different attempts to try to explain away things like that. Some attempts are decent, legitimate, and others you know, are just an attempt at humor, like the stupid story between Moses, Jesus, and Peter are in a boat going across the ocean, and the boat stops because there's an island some ways away, and so Jesus gets out of the boat and walks to the island. So then Moses gets out of the boat, and he walks to the island, and so Peter says, okay, he gets out of the boat, and he sinks right to the bottom. And he finally swims up on the boat and gets back in it. Moses looks at Jesus and says, do you think we should tell him where the rocks are? So it's possible rocks across there? No, I don't think so. If you're a person who struggles with believing the miraculous, it's, it's okay, all right? Um, doubting things in Scripture. There's nothing wrong with doubting things in Scripture as long as you're willing to look at it and to consider it and really to think through the implications of that because it's the power that Jesus demonstrates in Scripture that proves who he is. And it's the power that Jesus gives to us in Scripture that also is a power that he uses to work in our lives. That same power that causes him to walk on the water is the same power that can resurrect that which is dead and lost and broken in our lives. And so you may doubt, but you need to recognize you and I both need the power of Jesus Christ. So they're exhausted they're soaked to the bone. They're trying to get to the other side, and they look out on the water, and what is it that they see there? Verse 26, when the disciples saw him, Jesus, walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. So it's Jesus, but they see a ghost, which I think is hilarious. You know, I mean, it would have been the same way. I mean, you, you've just spent six hours fighting against the storm. You're exhausted. It's dark. There's a storm blowing all over the place. You know, you're trying to help the next guy. You can't hardly see. And all of a sudden, you look out, and there's this, like, apparition walking across the water kind of towards you. That might freak you out. I mean, and so Jesus immediately says, look, it's me. You don't have to be terrified. Um, but then Peter pulls a Peter. And he makes this particular statement to Jesus. Verse 28, he says, Lord, if it's you, I love that. I don't think he doubted. It's just, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. 
Now, I love the impetuous faith of Peter. I wish I had that. That's just willing to say, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. And he comes. And so Jesus says, come. That's his response. And you've got to give Peter credit because when Jesus said come, he came, right? Verse 29 says there, Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. I mean, this is an amazing miracle. I mean, Peter's walking on the water. So I guess according to history, actually three people walked on the water. You've got Jesus, and you've got Peter, and then you've got this guy right here. So I guess if you have enough motivation, right, you can walk on the water. But it's not faith in himself that causes him to walk on the water. It's the fact that he has his eyes on Jesus. He sees Jesus doing this. Jesus says, come to me. I mean, it, it's the willingness to, to look at and to follow Jesus Christ. But, of course, Peter's human, just like you and I. And so what happens to him is really expected. Verse 30, it says, But when he, that's Peter, saw the wind, he was terrified and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And so he's looking at Jesus, but then some big wave hits him in the face and he starts noticing where he's at and the predictable happens. You take your eyes off Jesus and you're going to sink. And so he cries out, and I love the fact that Jesus immediately saves him. And it's so important. We'll talk about this in a minute. But where does Peter turn when he sinks? He turns immediately to Jesus Christ. He comes to his senses, probably quickly because the water may be very cold. I don't know. But he turns immediately to Jesus Christ. And so Jesus gets him and they get back in the boat. And Matthew concludes the story, verse 32. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Another amazing thing. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. See, worship comes when we see the work of Jesus Christ. But we can't see the work of Jesus Christ unless we're looking at him. And so from the story, as together as a church, we try to journey towards this focus each day on Jesus Christ. I think there's a couple of very simple but very important reminders from this story. As we focus on Jesus, number one, it's got to be a daily priority. It's got to be a daily priority. We have to figure out how we can, every single day, at some point in our day, spend time focusing on Jesus Christ to kind of build into our lives this lifestyle of focusing each day on Jesus, kind of a mindset, which is exactly what Peter did when he stepped into the water, right? The place he's looking is at Jesus Christ. Verse 29, then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and he came towards Jesus. So he's coming towards Jesus. That's where he's looking. He's focusing on Jesus Christ. And in that faith-filled step, he learned something that none of the other disciples learned, that keeping his eyes in obedience on Jesus Christ allowed him to do something that by himself he was not able to do. He took a risk that none of the other guys took. So as John Ortberg says in his book, if you want to walk on the water, you got to get out of the boat. And so when Jesus commands, we follow. And when we follow, we discover him working in amazing ways through our life. So I think that this has got to be a year 
where together as a church family, not just some of us, not just part of us, but that every single one of us, that we put ourselves in a place in which we're willing to listen to and obey and follow Jesus Christ. Now, will that mean we'll walk on water? Probably not. But what it may mean is that if you make that commitment and you get to the end of this year and you look back and you reflect on this year, you may see some things that God has done in your life that may, in a sense to you, feel a little bit like you were walking on the water. Because that's how God works in our lives when we make focusing on him our priority. So how do we understand what God wants us to do? You know, how do we understand the will of God? It's a big question that a lot of Christians have. How do I know what God wants me to do? It's really not as complicated as it seems. It begins and really is founded upon the filter that everything we do comes through the word and truth of God. That's why we study God's word. It's why we study it Sunday morning and in our small groups and in youth groups and children's ministry. We open God's word and we study it because it is from the word of God that we get the truth of God and the guidance of God. And so God will never, ever tell you to do something that contradicts the truth of his word. And so that's why we focus in on the words of Jesus and the teaching of his apostles that he gave to us to help us to understand this is how we should live our lives. It's a filter that God uses to guide us to understand what he wants us to do. And so that's the foundation. That's the core. But then God also gives us a family like this of other people who follow Jesus Christ and who study his word, who've had challenging experiences in their life. Um, to kind of help us bounce off things that we feel like God wants us to do and help us think those things through. They can challenge our thinking or they can encourage us and they can support us. And so we begin with the truth of God's word. We obey it, what it says. We, we use other people that are followers of Jesus to help us think that through. But ultimately, God uses your personality and your temperament and your experiences in your life, good and bad, um, to help you understand the specifics of where he wants us to go. But you and I need to understand that the way God guides us, you know, as a church, but even as individuals, it's not, for, it's not based upon some feeling that we happen to have. It's based upon the truth of his word and his guidance. And, it's, and he doesn't guide us for our own personal benefit, right? He doesn't just guide us so that, you know, we'll be able to have a happy day. It's always for his glory. He always wants to use what he's doing in your life and my life to ultimately bring glory to him. But when we focus on Jesus through obedience, we see the work of God happening in our lives in an amazing way. So how do we keep this a priority? Focus every single day. Well, it, it can't be just something that's a good thing. It can't be just possibility that maybe needs to happen in my life to be a priority you and I both know that it's got to be something we say it absolutely will happen so how do you make it a daily priority I think that'll look different for each one of us so the last couple of days I got an email from one of the men in the church um, who was uh, very appreciative of the fact that we have used the Version app and we make use of that because he said it's just been a great help to him in reading God's word. And then I was visiting with a couple yesterday and they were both talking about how that's been a real help to stay in God's word, both listening to God's word and having a reading plan to help them. Maybe that's something that could benefit you. But the, 
the point is we all have to figure out how do we make it a priority and a part of our support to you is through this year continuing to help all of us find ways that we can do that so we focus on Jesus as a daily priority but I think even more importantly we focus on Jesus as the distraction response I mean our priority is we stay focused but every single one of us in this room has been and will be distracted from Jesus Christ. I mean, just think about the last few minutes. There have been moments where you've drifted off to the Chiefs game or you've looked at the cute little baby or you thought about what you were going to do in the middle of, you know, I mean, all kinds of things happen to us, right? We get distracted. And so it's not that we shouldn't feel a measure of responsibility for being distracted. I don't want you to misunderstand this. But what we do need to do is, what's my response going to be when I get distracted? What, what is my choice going to be when I get pulled off of looking at Jesus Christ? So poor Peter, you know, he kind of becomes the punching bag in Scripture because Peter does a lot of stupid things. I mean, he's really good at doing dumb. I mean, he does great things, right? For, for example, um, He's the one who made the first great confession of Jesus Christ, believing that he's the Messiah. But just a few minutes later, then Jesus says, well, you're a tool of the devil. That's not a really good transition there. Um, he goes up onto the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus and a couple of the other guys. He gets to meet these bigwigs talking with Jesus. And this is this amazing event he gets to be a part of. And then just a few seconds later, he says, well, let's go tent camping up here on the mountain, right? I mean, he's the one who says, I will never, ever deny you, Jesus. Other people might. I never will. He's the one who turns around and runs away when Jesus needs him the most. So here's the deal. If you've ever messed up in your life, then Peter's our hero because he is a guy who messes up. In fact, I kind of imagine that they have a phrase, the angels in heaven, and the phrase goes something like this, he pulled a Peter, just to show that we messed up, right? Peter becomes this example because of where he turns when he messes up. I mean, he did something amazing. But then he failed miserably. But where does he immediately look when he falls into the water? He looks to Jesus Christ. And I think it's so crucial to see that in the story. We need to see, let's make a priority of focusing on Jesus Christ. And he'll do amazing things in our life. But let's also figure out what we're going to do when we fall into the water and so verse 30 says, when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. I mean, there's so much in what Peter experiences. He saw the wind. How do you see wind? You see wind when the wave that the wind blows smashes you in the face, right? He was terrified. I mean, there's stuff that happens in our life that can literally, you know, hold us in fear, and yet he immediately looks to Jesus Christ. Jesus, I mean, he focusing on him is the choice we need to make when we're distracted. And in his distraction, once he finally comes to his senses, he turns to Jesus Christ. A momentary distraction is not cause for panic, but it's cause for a clarified focus on Jesus Christ. See, I wish... As I envision my year, thinking about this whole, I, I wish I could look back at this year when I come to the end of it and think, I mean, Doug, you batted 100. You, you perfectly focused on Jesus every single day. You never, ever made a mistake. 
that's so unrealistic it's even hard to fathom. I mean, I'm going to have times of great success in that, and I'm going to have times of great distraction in the middle of that. And you know what? It's going to be the same for you. I mean, you're going to look back and you're going to have some moments you're going to say, I can't believe how close I am to Jesus Christ right now and what he's doing in my life. And you're going to have some times in your life where you're going to question the very faith that you have in God because of what's happening to you or what you've done. And so I want you to hear what Jesus says to Peter just a little bit later. It's the night that Jesus is right before he's going to be betrayed. And they're having this conversation together. And just before Jesus warns Peter that he's going to deny him, here's what Jesus says to Peter. And again, this is Jesus speaking, Luke twenty-two thirty-two. 32. Jesus says to Peter, Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew he was going to fail, but he also had full confidence that he was going to turn back. And so in this year of ups and downs as we try to follow Jesus Christ, in the good and the difficult moments, when we find ourselves distracted, the choice we need to make is always immediately, let's turn back and look at Jesus Christ. Let's go back to the things that made a difference, knowing that like Jesus prayed for Peter, he's praying for us. He's rooting for us. He's knowing that we can turn back to him and that when we turn back to him, we gain the kind of strength that can help us strengthen other people. You never know how God can use the distractions in our lives to ultimately make a difference in other people's lives. A momentary distraction isn't cause for panic, but for a clarified vision. See, the only one that's consistent in our life is Jesus Christ. And that's why we need to focus on him. And when we follow him in that intimate walk and relationship with him, we learn how to apply his consistency into our own lives. So in the face of our distractions and our mess-ups and our failures and the accompanying fear that we have like Peter, the shame that we feel in the midst of that, don't let that keep us from seeing how much God can do through us. The Visalia Oaks and our 240-pound catcher, Jeremy Brown, who, as you know, scared to run to second base. This was in the game six weeks ago. This guy's going to start him off with a fastball. Jeremy's going to take him to deep center. Here's what's really interesting, because Jeremy's going to do what he never does. He's going to go for it. He's going to round first, and he's going to go for it. Okay? This is all of Jeremy's nightmares coming to life. Oh, they're laughing at him. And Jeremy's about to find out why. Jeremy's about to realize that the ball went 60 feet over the fence. He hit a home run and didn't even realize it.
I don't know what fear is keeping you from seeing what God wants to do through your life. Um, I know we all wrestle with stuff of our past and the fear that we feel, but Jesus is the one we've always got to turn back to. Yeah, let's make that a priority. And my prayer is that for all of us, it becomes a greater priority and we look back with great victory. But at the same moment, whenever, like Peter, we fall beneath the waters because we take our eyes off of Jesus, we will always look back to him, recognizing he can do amazing things, things that we don't even realize that he can do. See, momentary distractions are not cause for permanent failures. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for um, this example again of Peter. Lord, I thank you for his faith in you. Uh, walking on water, that's amazing, and yet his turning back to you as he falls beneath the waves. And Lord, I pray that as your people, we would have a heart for you, even right now through your spirit. Um, encourage us where we feel defeated. Um, guide us where we feel um, uncertain. Lord, give us the love that can only come from you as you draw us closer to you. And I know that Lord, you will use those moments in our life um, if we'll just look back to you. And I pray today will be a day of many just turning back to you, looking to you, um, following after you, Lord, focusing each day. And it's in your most precious name we pray.